Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everyone. So glad that you could join us today. We have a very hot topic that we are going to address straight on. You know, with all of the tragedy that we're seeing in Japan and all of the ramifications of what's happened with their nuclear energy program and and plants there, it's very reasonable that we are asking the kind of questions that we're seeing in newspapers and news reports um, about the future of the United States nuclear energy program. And so, as you know, with Go Green Radio, we always try to bring you the very best subject matter experts, no matter what we're talking about, whether it's water, energy, food, recycling, whatever. And today is no exception. Today our guest is Angie Howard. She's the former executive vice president of the Nuclear Energy Institute. And today she's going to walk us through some of the concerns, some of the questions that we have in light of what we've seen at the Fukushima Japan's uh, nuclear energy plant. And so, Angie, thank you so much for joining us on Go Green Radio today. Well, thank you for the invitation, Jill. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I think this is a question that's on everybody's mind. Of course, those who listen to Go Green Radio uh, on a regular basis know that you know when we talk about our energy future in general for the United States, we're all looking for carbon-free or low-carbon solutions to our energy future. And nuclear obviously comes up in that discussion. Even if you're a little, you know, tenuous about that technology, it comes up because it is, uh, you know, a, a carbon-free emission solution. But based on what we're seeing in Japan, um, help those of us who understand, you know, or who've been watching the news understand what happened in Japan's nuclear energy plants. Um, from a layman's point of view, it's kind of hard to make sense of exactly what, what went wrong there. Can you help us understand that? Well, I certainly will, will try, and I'm, I'm pleased to do that. And, and first and foremost, I think everyone's uh, concerns go out to the people of Japan who have had such a devastating impact of the earthquake and the tsunami. Uh, and clearly it was the, um, the tsunami that did damage at the Fukushima uh, power plant. The plant, when the earthquake occurred, uh, shut down as it was supposed to, shut down safely, and operated off of its emergency power systems. It was the tsunami that uh, came over the seawall at the plant and uh, took out uh, some of the uh, fuel supply to the emergency diesels, as well as did damage to some of that backup, uh, the backup power systems. Uh, when you shut a nuclear power plant down, 
you still have heat that's generated in the the uranium fuel that is in the in the reactor. So it's a part of the the shutdown process is to ensure that you have cooling water flowing through the reactor and through the fuel. Uh, with the loss of the offsite power, which came from the transmission lines, which were destroyed by the earthquake and the tsunami, and then the tsunami taking out the power, the emergency power supply, uh, the plant did not have adequate uh, cooling and the capability to circulate cooling water through the fuel, and and that really was was the issue. Uh, Japanese plants, just like plants around the world, are designed for seismic events as well as for tsunami events, those plants that are on the coastline. But this, I think we have all uh, recognized, was an event of of historic proportions and was larger than the plant was uh, designed to withstand. You know, we're hearing so much about the radiation plume and uh, some of the concerns, not just, you know, in Japan itself. Um, I, you know, we're, we're reading about radiation in the water and contamination of food supplies, and it's, it's all very scary, very concerning. But uh, I live in California, and we're hearing, you know, that there are trace amounts of radiation coming with the jet stream. Talk to us about this issue of radiation and, and what we should and maybe should not be concerned about. Uh, certainly. Um, r- radiation is one of those things that, that people are always concerned about it because you, you feel like you can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't hear it, uh, and yet you know that some level of radiation could be damaging or could be harmful. Uh, the nice the good thing about radiation is that we can measure it at infinitesimally low levels. And clearly there, as we have been told and have measured um, around the, the Japanese facility, uh, as well as in, in Tokyo, as well as in the trace amounts in California, certainly in the United States there are NART levels that are harmful and uh, the Department of Energy and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and our states that have monitoring uh, areas throughout the country tell us that we don't expect any harmful levels of radiation uh, from this event. Yet it's important to put it into perspective and also to appreciate the situation uh, with the nuclear facility there. Uh, once they knew they did not have sufficient cooling, there was time and the Japanese uh, government took action to evacuate um, members of the public that were in the vicinity of the plant uh, and had a, a large enough evacuation area, some 12 miles, uh, that people could move away from and go into shelter so that uh, they would not receive uh, high levels of radiation. Uh, the other aspect is that um, it, the, the one radionuclide that people are particularly concerned about is iodine. It's a radioactive isotope called iodine-131 you may hear about. Mm -hmm. And there are protective measures that the public can take, either through taking uh, potassium iodide pills. There is clearly not a level in this country where you would want to do that, but uh, they have those available in Japan. And uh, it would be expected that you would see the iodine in the water nearby in the food crops like leafy vegetables are in the milk that the cows, you know, would, would take up and 
have, after they're grazing on the land. Mm-hmm. This, I, this particular isotope has a very short half-life, and about and within about two months you would not expect to see it. You're already seeing re- levels being reduced in, in Tokyo to a point that they're not harmful for public consumption and, and actually down to a level of not harmful for uh, children's consumption. So it's the kind of thing you can measure and you can forewarn and you can uh, take that particular food stuff out of the food chain. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't sell the, the spinach or the other leafy vegetables uh, to, to the public. That's something that can easily be managed and controlled. So, and then you can measure and know when it's safe again to use that material. Mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of things about radiation because you can detect it at such small levels. You can take the precautions necessary to protect the public health and safety. There's not a massive and sudden release of radiation. That's good to know. And that, that's something that, you know, a lot of us just don't understand. And we just hear radiation in the food and, and, and it's scary. But that's, right. that's well, really and, good to you know, know. There's a really good website that um, the, an organization called the Health Physics Society. These are people like, who work in, in medical radiation and in industrial radiation. The website's called radiationanswers.org. Mm-hmm. And it's a good website because it answers questions about radiation all the way from, you know, I'm pregnant and should I have a dental x-ray to tanning booths to industrial applications. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage you to, to promote that radiationanswers.org website because it is produced by the people who work with radiation every day of their lives. Thank you for that. That's that's excellent. And that's something that, that we will uh, make sure that we spread around, radiationanswers.org. Is that correct? That's right. It's all one word, radiationanswers.org. Great. Well, let's talk about... Um, how the disaster in Japan has affected the U.S. nuclear plant safety plans. I mean, has there has anything changed about our safety plans or operations as a result of what we've seen in Japan? Well, one of the things about the nuclear uh, energy industry is that it is a learning industry, and it has always been that way. To we we analyze events that occur in our plants, not only in the United States but around the world and look to see if there's applicability to our plants, both design and and operating procedures. So clearly it's important that we do that now as a a result of this event. Um, The regulator, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, is undertaking uh, a two-prong review to look at the uh, immediate uh, information that they're getting from the Fukushima event and applying that, looking at our, our existing plants here in the United States. And there will be a longer-term uh, review as, as information comes in over time. The mm-hmm. nuclear industry, each nuclear plant in the country, has underway now an analysis of their facilities based on the information that is coming in. That will be coordinated through a, a safety organization that is run by the industry where they actually will follow up with, with on-site evaluations of the, the industry's own self-assessment. That mm-hmm. will also be shared, of course, with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So there's already we're starting to, to look to be sure that at our facilities, for example, we have all of the adequate backup power systems that uh, we're supposed to have, and uh, the operators have uh, retrained on 
um, severe accident types of scenarios where they train in simulators um, as a part of their ongoing work. So we're already taking actions uh, to look at that. Um, you know, our, our facilities also uh, have been um, upgraded extensively over the years that they've been in operation, and particularly after the attacks on our country uh, after September 11, 2001, mm-hmm. uh, from both a security standpoint and a response to uh, a large event that could occur at a nuclear plant, postulated could occur at a plant, you can euphemistically say the crash of an airliner, which would take out the off-site power and create a large fire. Uh, we made corrections, additions of security, both physical security, uh, people security, and uh, uh, allowing for additional backup uh, emergency systems at all of the facilities as a result of that event. And uh, that will also go a long way in assuring that we have adequate uh, and redundant emergency systems for any event. Well, and it's interesting because after 9-11 happened and we saw some of the difficulties that, you know, we had with emergency response, there was a phrase that was used a few times in the days after 9-11, which was a failure of imagination, that we hadn't perfectly planned for a situation like this because we just couldn't imagine something on this scale. And you know, because of what's happened in Japan, there would be no excuse now for a failure of imagination on the part of, you know, U.S. nuclear power plants to see a worst-case scenario, um, particularly when you're talking about plants that are near earthquake zones or, or places where there's seismic activity. So it's good to know that this is ongoing. We, we have to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with more on... Um, Go Green Radio. We're going to be talking with Angie the entire hour to get some straight talk and straight answers about what's going on with our nuclear power plants and the future of nuclear energy in America. So don't go away. We've got much more coming up right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. 
Park on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. For those of you just joining us, today's topic is straight talk on nuclear energy. And we are talking with Angie Howard, who's the former executive vice president of the Nuclear Energy Institute here in the U.S. And we're talking about some of the concerns that have been raised legitimately uh, as we're seeing what's happened in the disaster in Japan and, and what's happened to their nuclear power plants. It's perfectly reasonable for those of us in the U.S. to say, hmm, Let's take a look at this. What does what we're seeing in Japan mean to us with both our existing nuclear facilities and the future of perhaps adding additional nuclear power plants? So, Angie, thank you again for joining us on Go Green Radio. Thank you. Um, You know, this is something that a lot of folks may or may not realize, but, you know, there's a significant portion of our our electricity in the U.S. that that comes from nuclear already. Um, And, of course, there are those who'd like to see that increase dramatically. Currently, what is, um, you know, our our electricity capability that's coming from nuclear in the U.S.? Sure, Joe. Right now, there are 104 units around the country. They generate 20% of our electricity. You know, Mm -hmm. that's one out of every five homes and businesses, on average, get, get their power from nuclear energy. So it is substantial. And if you are serious about non-emitting sources of energy, nuclear represents 70% of our non-emitting sources, uh, non-greenhouse uh, gas or air pollutant emitting sources of electricity. So it's an important factor in our nation's energy supply. Well, and you can't argue with the fact that it's domestic energy. And I know that, you know, we've had guests on Go Green Radio in the past from an organization in D.C. called the Electrification Coalition. It's a group of business leaders and uh, military, senior military officials Mm -hmm. who would like to see our light transportation in the U.S. move to um, electric mobility so that we could wean ourselves off of foreign oil and you know, and and make our nation much more uh, independent and secure. But in order for us to do things like that, to increase actually our our load, our electricity load, um, we wouldn't want to do that all through fossil fuel fired plants. We want to do that through carbon free energy sources. And you know, <laughs> nuclear is, is arguably the most efficient way to do that. Um, how how does nuclear energy compare to wind and solar when it comes to reliability and efficiency? 
Well, that, that's an important question. Nuclear uh, is a what we call a baseload power generation source. That means it operates 24-7. And typically most plants will operate uh, uh, throughout their entire fuel cycle, you know, without shutting down. That's, you know, roughly 18 months uh, without shutting down. So they're extremely reliable. And, and that's important as you think about all of the things that we need on a 24-hour basis, our, our hospitals, our manufacturing facilities. Um, and if we're looking at the advent of a large component of electric vehicles coming into, uh, into use, you're going to need clean energy to, to recharge those vehicles. Wind and solar and other renewables are, are very important, uh, but they are limited. Uh, they also are, are intermittent. Uh, it, you know, but nuclear plants will operate when the wind doesn't blow and when the sun doesn't shine. But mm-hmm. we all we need a diverse energy supply. I'm not suggesting that nuclear be the sole source. We need to continue to to use our fossil fuels where they can be used best. Uh, we need to continue the development of our hydroelectric as well as our uh, other uh, renewable sources. But nuclear clearly is the workhorse. Uh, particularly of the non-emitting type of generation. Well, and you raise an important point, you know, that nuclear is working when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. Talk to us about, you know, the existing infrastructure in the U.S. in terms of our transmission lines and what that kind of uh, flux of of wind power and solar power flowing through the the transmission lines that we currently have, um, how that works or maybe sometimes doesn't work as well uh, with our <laughs> well, existing transmission lines and, and compare that to a nuclear facility? Well, you, you do have um, you know, a situation where if you're putting a lot of energy in a line from the wind and the wind suddenly shifts and you lose that, you have you know, the, the possibility of, of losing that line altogether and creating a blackout. So you do want to have enough power on the line to keep the power stable. The other aspect of, um, you know, where our large um, uh, and most reliable wind supplies in this country are, are in the uh, upper Midwest and certain western areas where it would take a lot of additional transmission lines to be built in order to bring the wind into the areas of, or of population, similar to, to solar in the, the desert southwest where, you know, you have the best solar capacity but you don't have the transmission capacity to get it out of that area. So it's not just the, the question of, of building a wind farm or building a solar facility. It's you've got to transmit that energy and sometimes long distances to where mm-hmm. the power is needed. Oh, that's an excellent point. And I think that a lot of Americans, you know, you know, are looking at wind and solar and saying, yay, you know, they're, they're safe and, uh, you know, that's, it's a great option. But, we don't realize that it's not just about generation of that power. It is about uh, distributing it to where it needs to go. Um, you know, a lot of opponents of nuclear energy will talk about Chernobyl. They'll talk about Three Mile Island when they speak about, you know, not building new nuclear power plants. But there's newer technology that according to what I'm reading, is reportedly safer than what the technology was at those two plants. Can you talk to us about today's nuclear energy technology and how it addresses the concerns that nuclear energy opponents have when they, when they cite Chernobyl or Three Mile Island? Yeah. Well, as I said in the first segment, the, the industry is a learning industry, 
And just as we have learned and have made um, safety improvements at our existing plants, and those plants are safe and safe to continue to operate for a long time, we've also learned how uh, how we can change designs of the facilities to have, um, for example, less moving parts. Uh, some of these newer designs are safety systems to provide water to the fuel you know, can be operated from gravity rather than having to have power and pumps. Um, some of the other designs have um, redundancy in their containment buildings. And so what we've done is try to learn how best to address the issues that we've learned over the 40 years our plants, uh, some of the older plants have been operating up to this point and will and we'll continue to operate and operate safely. But we'll also learn how to make design improvements. Another design uh, change that we may see coming down the road is the small reactors, uh, where they are, you know, smaller, can be, um, for example, used on a site that may have an old fossil plant that's shutting down, and you can put a small reactor there. So there are lots of innovations that our nation, uh, both the industrial component as well as the, uh, our national labs and the Department of Energy are looking at in order to be able to use this technology well into the future. Position that I hear from opponents who who don't want to see us build any more nuclear plants is that the plants are too costly, and that the technology is not cost effective. Is that true? I mean, what what is the the fact scientific fact? Well, you have to look at uh, the total uh, you know life cycle of of the power plant. Uh, yes, it costs more to build a nuclear plant. It, t- it takes longer uh, to, to license, and it takes longer to construct. It's, they're big. They have a lot of concrete and a lot of steel. Uh, now, that, I might add, also creates a lot of jobs. But uh, it does take longer to build, so they're more expensive to build. So the capital investment is high, and yet it, they operate at a very low cost in comparison to other energy sources. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you look at the total you know, operating uh, time of the facility, 60 years or longer, they generate electricity at a, a, not only a lower rate, but at a reliable, at a fairly stable rate of, of cost, uh, that the cost doesn't fluctuate, as uh, we see with some of the fossil fuels. And so you have to look at the, the total picture. But it you know, part of the concerns people have said that they they cost too much, but if we look at it per kilowatt hour, uh, they generate it affordably and economically. Well, what kind of factors would bring the cost down? I mean, if we were to build, is there an economy of scale? I mean, if we were to build um, X number of plants, uh, you know, a larger number of plants at one time, would that would that bring some economy of scale? Bring the cost to build new plants down? Uh, yes, uh, and one of the things that uh, we're we're looking at with the new plant designs that are uh, being considered right now is a standardization of design. Mm. Um, in our country, the various plants that we have are a variety of designs, not only in the the nuclear part of the plant, but in the the secondary over where you generate the electricity part of the plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that um, we've learned from, from France is that they actually took a design that they bought from the United States and then standardized it. So every one of their plants uh, was uh, the same type of design. Uh, that, we think, will 
lower the price going forward and and lower the price by not only um, making the the certainty of of what the design is and you can duplicate it, you can do it quicker, you can also uh, license them quicker because they're the same. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that we are looking to do as we go forward in, in building new plants. Now, yes, in the United States, because, you know, we are a free market, we do have five standardized designs that we are currently in the licensing for. Mm-hmm. But the companies that are committed to these designs are promising to stay with that design uh, as they go forward so that subsequent um, units will are likely to cost less, take less time to, to build uh, and to license. Well, and that makes a lot of sense because, you know, you could standardize the tools, the training for the workers. I mean, uh, you know, not the just the building, procedures. but the operation could be so much more efficient. It makes perfect Absolutely. sense. And even the maintenance. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that's really smart. And that's something that um, that I hope we see uh, occur because that, that does seem to make perfect sense. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll be talking more straight talk on nuclear energy. If you have any questions that you want to ask, you can tweet me at, at Jill Buck. I'll be checking out your tweets. And you can also email me at gogreenradio at gmail.com. Don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, Can you hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you're here with us. We are talking about something that's really on the forefront of everybody's mind right now as we watch this heartbreaking tragedy of what's going on in Japan. And bless their hearts, it's just one catastrophe after another. And of course, uh, what's been happening with their nuclear power plants is, has just exacerbated an already, ter- you know, just horrible situation. And so it's very reasonable for those of us in the U.S. to say, well, hey, let's take a look at what's going on with our nuclear power plants. And, you know, is this something that uh, we can feel good about? So today we have as our guest, Angie Howard, who's the former executive vice president for the Nuclear Energy Institute. And we're talking about, very frankly, very candidly, uh, what's going on with our nuclear industry in the U.S. and some of the things that uh, many of us are concerned with. Angie, I'm so glad that you could join us, and I want to go right into one of the biggest hot-button topics that you hear from nuclear energy opponents, and that is, what are we doing with the radioactive waste? Talk to us about how we manage that in the U.S., um, and and what you say to folks who raise that as a concern. Sure, sure. Well, First of all, let's let's talk about about sort of the concentration of energy. Uh, you know, a, a fuel pellet in a, a a nuclear reactor is the equivalent of about a ton of coal. And a fuel pellet, I know we're on radio, so it's hard to visualize it. But if you think of the tip of your little finger, that's about the size of a fuel pellet for an, an average person. So it, it's hugely concentrated. In the same way uh, with the waste that comes out of the the plant. We call it used fuel. These pellets are still in their same form, but they have gone through the, the nuclear reaction and given off the heat, and they're less efficient after about three years in the reactor. And you take this, um, these, these pellets, they're in fuel assemblies, and they're still the same solid ceramic type of uh, material, and you, you store that material. And you do that, and, and ultimately we will take that material and and put it into a a national repository. Uh, we've done a lot of work in this country on a geologic repository, uh, and yet uh, the current administration has asked for a pause to that while they have established a committee to to study what we will do with the used material. Now, one of the things that other, a few other countries do is reprocess this material or recycle it. About 90% or more can be used again if you go through a recycling process and made into to fuel that can be used in the reactors again. We've not decided to do that in this country, uh, so we are at a stage where technically it's safe to store these fuel assemblies. They're stored in water, just um, in pools at the plant site, and then moved from the pools into uh, basically a dry concrete silo. And it's fully safe to keep them there, but the plants were not designed to have them stored, have the waste stored there 
forever. So we do need to come to the political and policy decision in this country as to which direction we'll go. Should we recycle or should we store this material um, in a repository where we could recover it in the future if we wanted to recycle some years away? Hello? Hello, Angie? Yes? Oh, okay. I, I, I asked, what would be the downside to recycling? Why, um, you know, why wouldn't we move forward with that? The reason that uh, we were going to recycle in the first place, originally when we started developing nuclear energy in, in our country, and, and one of the reasons that some other countries developed it was to have an assured supply of fuel. Uh, subsequent uh, to that, and a decision that was actually made in the Ford and Carter administrations, uh, not to recycle, was that we did discover quite a bit more uh, uranium that was available for mining. And it's less expensive to mine the new uranium than to go through uh, the recycling process unless you are going to, to do that um, and, and don't have available uranium supplies. So it, it's more of a, a sort of a whether you need it now or need it later you know, I think eventually we will decide uh, over the very long term out, you know, through this century that we want to continue to use nuclear and we would then recycle uh, because see. we would need that uh, fuel source. But, you know, over the last uh, 15 to 20 years, we've not needed it and therefore have not made in this country the capital investment for recycling. In I France, see. they have recycled it for many years, as in the United Kingdom, uh, in Russia and uh, Japan also is uh, in the latter stages of building a fuel recycling facility. I see. Very interesting. Now, you know, a lot of opponents of nuclear energy plants are also um, part of sort of an anti-nuclear proliferation group. Um, we have an interesting political situation that doesn't necessarily exist in other countries that, um, you know, that use nuclear power. I mean, a, a lot of, of folks in the U.S. look at the political um, forces against nuclear energy as, um, you know, very liberal or, or left-leaning. Um, and yet we know that, you know, France, in, in many cases, politically would be considered even more liberal than a lot of, you know, U.S. Um, political forces, and yet they are moving forward with nuclear energy because it's, it makes sense for their country. I, I'm wondering, how do we address that concern of uh, nuclear proliferation in terms of weapons and things and, and nuclear energy plants? How, how do we balance um, those concerns? Well, first of all, there is not a direct correlation between commercial nuclear power plants and and. Uh, the proliferation of nuclear weapons. It is different. In fact, interestingly enough, um, but through an agreement that the United States and the former Soviet Union have had and has continued with Russia, is the blending down of nuclear weapons from Russia, and then about 50% of the nuclear fuel we use in this country comes from blended down nuclear weapons that once were pointed at us. Wow. And so that is a... a um, a huge benefit to do that, and uh, we intend to take some of our own national, uh, weapons and, and do the same thing. 
yet at the same time, as you look at nuclear being a a global industry and various countries using nuclear energy, some who have used it for a long time, others just starting, it's important to have uh, international controls both on the enrichment of the nuclear material to um, not allow the enrichment to go to the level of over 90% uh, fissionable material, which would be at the weapons level. Power plant fuel is like at the 3 to 5% level. Mm. Uh, and also to, to carefully look at how reprocessing is done so that there is not the, any opportunity to allow the loss of um, recycled material, uranium and plutonium, that could um, be used for clandestine purposes. So it's important that you have the international regimes to ensure that uh, material is used for the peaceful generation of electricity and not for the development of weapons. Mm-hmm. And and in terms of, you know, I know that after 9-11, a lot of folks were concerned about not only a terrorist attack on our nuclear facilities, but, you know, some sort of thievery, you know, of our, of our supplies in order to be used for weapons and whatnot. How do we assure the public and how do we ensure public safety when it comes to protecting our plants against terrorist attacks? Well, first of all, we did an extensive review after 9-11 uh, to, and enhanced the security at our plants. We already had um, robust uh, security at our facilities with, with uh, guards that were armed and trained. We've increased uh, that capacity. Uh, we have increased the protection of our facilities through, through physical barriers and, and access points into the plant. And then we've done the analysis, which is, has been beneficial in, in this particular Japanese situation, of understanding how to mitigate should a plant, you know, be, be hit with a, a large explosion and fire, meaning a, an aircraft carrier. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, an aircraft, you know, crashing into the plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you are assured that your, your backups, your, your containment buildings, these large, you know, three to four foot um, thick concrete buildings with steel liners and all like that could withstand an impact, and you have backup systems that allow you to provide um, auxiliary power and all of the things that you would need to, to mitigate that type of an attack. You know, our, our guards train, uh, they do the regulatory, regulatory agency, you know, carries out special inspections uh, that are called force on force. It's actually a mock you know, attack. They mm-hmm. they train on those. They're evaluated on that. So it's a a very um, uh, extensive type of security uh, aimed at protecting the facility against any type of terrorist attack. And is that information? I know that some of of what we're talking about would be classified information. Right. But is there a way for the public to access? you know, the safety records or, you know, some kind of information that would make them, you know, feel comfortable that the plant nearest them is safe. Where can yes, people find is. that Generally, out? Generally, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission does provide uh, general information uh, on these and, and the results of their inspections. Again, the details are, are classified as, as they call them safeguarded information sure. because you don't want that to be accessible to anyone that would, 
would want to propose right. such an attack. Uh, and yet um, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, uh, as the federal regulator, uh, does have information available to the public uh, mm-hmm. that they can share. Excellent. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to be right back in just a few moments with more with Angie Howard and Straight Talk on nuclear energy and safeguarding our existing plants and the potential of building new ones in the U.S. What are the answers to what we're seeing uh, unfolding in Japan and how can we address those issues and still move forward with this carbon-free energy technology. So, folks, don't go away. There's lots more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us, our topic today is straight talk on nuclear energy. It's right on the forefront of all of our minds as we watch with hearts broken as what's to what's going on in Japan and, and what they're suffering right now and how uh, the tragedy uh, of the tsunami and the earthquake and how it's affected their nuclear power plants has only exacerbated their suffering and our hearts go out to them. And as they do, our hearts also turn to our own communities where we have nuclear facilities, where we have uh, plans to potentially bring on new nuclear facilities. And so naturally we all have a lot of questions and today's guest on Go Green Radio has helped us really um, get down to the nitty-gritty and, and candidly and frankly talk about some of our concerns. Uh, her name is Angie Howard. She's the former executive vice president of the Nuclear Energy Institute, and we're so glad to have her on. If you have missed part of the show and you're bummed about that, don't worry, because this will air again at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon on the East Coast on the Green Living Variety, uh, the Green Living uh, Channel on Voice America If you go to voiceamerica.com, click on the green living button. There you will find all kinds of awesome green shows. And we air um, on Tuesday from 9 to 10 Pacific and noon to 1 Eastern. And so this show will air again then. If you want to listen to it again or tell your friends to check it out, I encourage you to do so. You know, Angie, it seems like we only hear news about nuclear plants when something goes wrong. But on the flip side, what would you consider some of the greatest success stories from our U.S. nuclear plants? Well, first of all, our plants have been operating uh, over 40 years, uh, some of the first ones that were put into service in this country, and they do operate um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, without uh, generating the emissions of greenhouse gases and other air pollutants. So they are a good neighbor within the community. They do it on a small footprint of land. Uh, the jobs that are provided, both from the direct jobs at the power plants, are are good, high-paying jobs. But then the indirect jobs that provided the economic engines in many of the communities uh, where the plants are located, uh, they are an important part of our our economy, uh, providing reliable electricity as as well as as jobs and. Uh, all of those benefits that go back into the community. I think another aspect of, of nuclear that we often don't think about uh, as much is that it's sustainable in the context of uh, there's no other use, there's no other peaceful use for uranium or plutonium other than uh, the generation of electricity. So if we could use nuclear as a, a substantial part of our energy mix, we're showing that we're concerned about our air quality, we're concerned about preserving our fossil fuel resources for the things that they can also contribute to uh, in our economy of of providing uh, the petrochemical base for so many of our our products that we use in our everyday life, not only the things that we use because we choose to use them, but for, for medicine development, pharmaceuticals, fertilizers for our fields. And so uh, nuclear provides a, a lot of ancillary support to our, our whole economy, not only in the United States, but on a worldwide basis. And if we're serious about reducing our greenhouse gases and reducing the emissions of carbon, we have to be serious about continuing to use nuclear in a safe and efficient manner. 
And and when you talk about the the kind of jobs that are created, I can't help but think about some of the the jobs that are even further downstream. I mean, I know that in California we have a couple of nuclear plants that um, provide energy just where it's needed in terms of manufacturing and and really reliable energy um, for some of the like Silicon Valley and Southern California jobs that um, that are very energy intensive. They are. And I, I, I can't help but think about those jobs as well. Well, and that's very true. And while we need to uh, find ways to use our our energy sources more efficiently, and we need to conserve more energy as, 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 we, as much as we possibly can. When you also look at how we use energy in this country, from our electronics uh, to, you know, the opportunities to have uh, 24, you know, highly reliable power for manufacturing to keep jobs on this shore, on our shores, mm-hmm. and not uh, be uh, sent overseas all of that is a, a big part of it, and it requires reliable power. Well, reliable and cost-effective as well, because yes. you know a, there's just so many different variables that uh, go into decisions that companies make to send manufacturing overseas, and it isn't just cheap labor. Um, some of it is also cost of operation when it comes to utilities, and so um, you know when our energy prices go up, that that's that's bad on a whole lot of sectors to include manufacturing and one of the things that you know we keep hearing about during this time of economic difficulties that we need to create jobs well certainly um, construction jobs would be increased if, if we built new nuclear plants but also you know we might be able to afford more manufacturing plants in this country if the cost of the energy to fuel those plants um, were as low as possible and as efficient as possible. So there's just a lot of things that we need to think about before we put the kibosh on nuclear energy, which seems to be sort of a you know, knee-jerk reaction on the part of some. There, there's a whole lot of benefits to nuclear energy that needs you know, really thorough consideration before we hit the panic button and say, you know, we're just not going to participate in any more... Uh, building of nuclear energy plants. Well, and and you do have to look at it from a from a risk standpoint. Uh, there's risk to everything that we do in life, and one of the greatest risks is not having sufficient energy supplies uh, that that can provide the the way we uh, live our lives today safely and and comfortably. And so that that's very important to look at it as well, and and look at having uh, a, a good diverse energy supply base. Right. Well, I'll tell you, you know, my dad was a coal miner, and uh, uh, unfortunately, it was not uncommon to have serious injuries and deaths um, in the coal worked in. And of course, we hear about those kinds of accidents uh, every so often in the news. And, and so it's not as though the status quo energy supply that we have, which is very reliant among, uh, upon coal, is necessarily, you know, perfectly safe as well. We know that to be true. true. You know, we've just got a, about a minute left, Angie, and I want to give you that time in closing um, to give us some things that, that our listeners can think about and, and consider uh, to take away from this show. What are those things that you'd like for our listeners to remember? Well, first of all, I'd like for, for your listeners to, to have developed an interest in where their energy comes from and be engaged and involved in, in asking questions and understanding all aspects of, of their energy supply, where it comes from and how it's used. Um, I hope that there's an interest in understanding more about radiation 
and appreciating the fact that uh, we live in a radioactive world as, as a part of that of naturally occurring radiation. I think the radiation levels that we're seeing reported uh, out in the community in Japan, while that's a concern, are at the similar levels of taking a, a airplane flight from Tokyo to the United States. So what we need to do is really try to keep these things in perspective and get the information that's available to you and to appreciate that um, our energy supply and nuclear being 20% of our electricity supply in this country is vital to our economic growth, our economic recovery, uh, and the industry is committed to safety first. Good to know. Gosh, thanks so much for joining us, Angie. I really feel like this was uh, in-depth, informative. Uh, you know, I learned a lot. I hope our listeners did as well. Thanks so much for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We're going to be back same time, same place with Go Green Radio next week. So be sure to tune in Fridays from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Pacific, noon to 1 on the East Coast. Everybody in between can do your own math, and we hope that you'll join us then. Until then, have a great weekend. Go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com.